Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 119, and it's the end of the year, so we are discussing the best and worst of 2022 anime. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, probably because we'll need to spoil certain aspects of certain anime to explain why they ended up on certain best and worst categories, but we'll do our best to warn you ahead of time. Another thing that I'd like to warn you about in advance, and I apologize in advance, is that I might sound a little different today than usual. That is because I am currently fighting a sore throat, which I guess has kind of turned into a, a mild cold. Um, just in time for the winter blues, I guess. But you know what? I'm going to muster up enough energy and strength as I can so that we can talk about the exciting things in the year that was 2022 in anime. And looking back on 2022, I would say this year has spoiled us when it comes to anime. And I think 2023 might be kind of promising. So we want to take a quick second to wish everyone a happy new year. By the time this episode goes live, we'll be approaching the new year. We'll be approaching 2023. And we hope that you guys have a great time celebrating and look forward to as much anime in 2023 as we are. We also have a very big personal announcement that we wanted to share. Um, so stay tuned for that. But first, we wanted to take the next opportunity to shout out a few new patrons because these people are amazing and we want to shout them out for all of their generosity and support. The first patron we want to shout out is Christian L. Thank you so much, Christian, for becoming a patron of the Strictly series. We really appreciate it. Um, your support is going to go a long way. We have some exciting things that we'd like to do in 2023, and we're glad that you enjoyed the podcast and want to be part of our Patreon community. And the next patron that we want to shout out is Saga. Saga actually sent us a really nice note via email and shared with us that they are a huge JoJo fan. So welcome not only to the Patreon, to the Strictly Series family, but also as a fellow JoJo fan, we're so excited to have you join us. And, and we're glad that you're enjoying Strictly JoJo, our other podcast, because uh, yeah, we love JoJo and we're glad that you do too. Yeah, so this was just terrific news to hear at the close of this year. So I guess thank you, Christian and Saga. Your support has given us the best ending for 2022. And if any of you would like to support the show and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-shows, our show schedules, even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast, then head over to patreon.com slash series. And if Patreon's not the best way for you to support, no worries at all. There are definitely other ways that you can support us. Um, you can leave us a rating and or review on the podcast streaming service that you're listening to us on right now, especially if that's Spotify. There's a little star on the iOS or Android app that you can tap and then leave us a rating there. You can also follow and subscribe to us on those same platforms so you can be notified when new episodes go live. You can join our Discord to chat with us, and we've got a really great Discord community and a lot of fun people to, to connect with. You can follow us on social media, on Instagram at The Strictly Series, and on Twitter at Strictly Series. Or you can share our podcast with a fellow anime fan or a fellow lover of podcasts because word of mouth is one of the fastest ways that podcasts grow. Either way, any of those options are fantastic um, and we really appreciate the support and we appreciate you guys tuning in to listen to us every single week. 
And now on to the very big personal announcement that we teased just a moment ago. Um, I'm, I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Kind of nervous sharing this, but I guess I'll just say it. So Carl and I are having a baby. We're expecting ooh, our first ooh, baby. <laughs> it's the next arc in our anime story. It is. We are bringing a little weeb into this world. And yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very nervous. Um, and I've been very eager to, we've really been very eager to share this news with you guys. So we're happy and excited to be able to do so. Um, so there's going to be a lot of craziness that happens in the first part of 2023, not only on the anime side of things, but also here in our personal life as well. Yeah, I can't wait for this kid to grow up and then start touching all of our anime figures. <laughs> and I was panic every oh, time, man. like, no, don't touch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, I guess one extra bit of information, we are due in spring, so a couple more months before the baby's actually here, but um, we're going to prepare as best as possible, not only in our personal life, but also with the podcast, so that um, there's as little disruption for you guys as possible. Well, it'll definitely be a whirlwind for us, but we're going to do all we can ahead of time so that we can be ready for when the baby arrives. Yes, and let's hope we're not going to turn out like the, the typical parents you see in anime. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> That we are will... non-existent yeah. or always at work or completely <laughs> oblivious. <laughs> yeah, we will show this baby as much love and care as we can. And I know there have been some um, questions that have come up about whether we're going to do um, panels again, particularly at our home anime convention, Anime Central. And I think we really wanted to. I know with our panel from last year, we did Waifu Wars, the tournament arc. We were really excited to bring that panel style back, but do it as... What was the one title we had? Husbando, Husbando Hoedown. Hoedown. <laughs> That's a great title. Um, so we're still looking to do Husbando Hoedown as a panel at some point, whether that's at Anime Central the following year or at another anime convention coming up next year. But I think with Anime Central happening in May and that being so close to when the baby is going to arrive, um, we probably can't commit to that this year. But yeah, it's still definitely on the radar. We do want to continue to do panels and we're looking forward to them in the later future. We were also chatting um, about like what cosplays we would do with uh with me being pregnant and i know one of the ideas that we had was millie and wolfwood from trigon which i mm -hmm. i don't know if we'll have an opportunity to cosplay before the baby's here but i would love to cosplay that because millie and wolfwood are one of my favorite couples but also i think that's like such a classic throwback anime that that would be fun to do yeah that's millie and wolfwood from trigon uh because we were kind of brainstorming and thinking are there really other pregnant characters in anime there are but there's a lot of like sadness involved so mm. <laughs> we didn't want one that was going to be sad <laughs> so million wolfwood there is sadness i guess a little bit there because trigon has a lot of like sad themes but they're they're a great they're a great couple i don't know i i like them yeah and for wolfwood it be a pretty simple co closet cosplay since he just wears a black suit and white dress shirt and i actually have a cross from a friend's halloween costume um he, they left it here during our halloween party oh, like a giant cross yeah so i was gonna outfit that as um you know wolfwood's cross weapon and then 
yeah, walk around with you as Millie for any anime conventions that we could potentially attend before the baby arrives. Another cosplay that we were joking around with our, our friends about, and this is so fucking cursed, but I don't know if you guys have ever seen some of those fan art of oh, God. No. <laughs> I can't even describe it. The fan art that sometimes floats around on Twitter of Midoriya and Bakugo as like a canon like BL couple. Um, some of them take it a step further and and make Midoriya pregnant. <laughs> I don't know oh how that happens, um, <laughs> but I have seen plenty of that more than I would like to have seen on Twitter um, over the, the the years, I guess. So I was like, oh, we could do that if we really wanted to ruin everyone's day. I could just cosplay as as a pregnant Midoriya, and you could cosplay as Bakugo, and then we could just hate everything. <laughs> Although you're the person who likes Bakugo more, but I, I guess it wouldn't make sense <laughs> if, if Midoriya is supposed to be the pregnant one. This is so cursed. <laughs> it's so I can't cursed. We're even mentioning this, but <laughs> yeah, I guess that was an idea out there. But we'll we'll stick with Millie and Wolfwood again. If we even have the opportunity to cosplay um, before the baby arrives, I think that would be such a good one to do. But we wanted to again share that news with you guys um, and let you know how excited we are. And we'll keep you posted over the next couple of months on how things are going. And then when the, the baby's finally here. All right, so let's do it. Let's round out the year with the best and worst of 2022 anime. Um, we like to take the opportunity to also reflect on 2022, uh, the year for our podcast, because I feel like this year has been tremendous for Strictly Anime. We have grown so much. We have so many new patrons, so many new members of our Discord, um, quite an influx in listeners and subscribers. So we are so incredibly thankful for all of your guys' support over the past year and, and even beyond that. And uh, yeah, we, we couldn't ask for more. It really does mean a lot to us. Yeah, I would say 2022 was quite the thrill ride, not just for anime, but for our podcast. Um, in both respects, it never felt like there was too much of a lull going on. There was just a constant stream of, of positive things happening in the anime realm and in the podcast realm. And so, yeah, it was just a great year of growth for us. And as Courtney mentioned, I sincerely appreciate it as well. And a couple of fun facts, I guess, or stats um, about 2022 for us here at Strictly Anime. We put out 63 episodes this year. I know we're a weekly podcast, so maybe that number doesn't quite coincide with the number of weeks in a year. Well, that but... includes like uh, Attack on Titan. Exactly. Episodes. Yeah, we had our yeah. Attack on Titan special event this year where we had... Uh, in addition to our regular weekly episodes, weekly additional weekly review episodes of every single episode of Attack on Titan, which we will bring that back when the final part of the final season premieres sometime next year. But yeah, I mean, talk about a busy year because again, it's regular episodes for Strictly Anime, plus for an entire season talking about AOT on top of that. Plus, over at Strictly JoJo, we moved from bi-weekly to weekly episodes to talk all about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean. Um, so it's just been a wild time throughout the year. Our most listened to episode is, I guess surprisingly, but not really surprisingly, is episode 93, Spy Family Part 1. 
Oh, boy. I thought it was going to be one of our discussion episodes when I went back to look at our stats. But then I saw it was it was this review episode. And I'm kind of like not surprised because Spy Family took the world by storm when it mm-hmm. premiered. Yeah, there are a lot of fans of the Forgers out there. So I'm sure people who love listening to podcasts wanted to eat up as much Spy Family content as they could. So I'm glad you flocked over to Strictly Animate to get your fill. And then we had quite a number of guests on Strictly Anime this year, so we wanted to shout out each and every one of them and thank them for coming on the podcast and collabing with us and just having a really great time talking about whatever we were talking about, you know, on that particular episode. So we have Brian from TV and Movie Trivia Pod. We have Matt and Audrey from Otaku Melancholy Podcast. We have Jeff, Dan, and Amelia from Otaku Host Club. JD and Earthworm from Anime Brothers Podcast. Sam from Anime Summit. Ash from Sipping for Senpai podcast and David and Jordan from Shonen Flop. So thank you so much, guys, for for joining us, um, for collabing with us. And again, it was just so much fun to talk with you guys about anime stuff. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I love our little podcast network. Um, all great people to interact with and discuss all things anime and and manga, of course, as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we we've had a again a really jam-packed year a really fun year and i'm looking forward to how 2023 will pan out but now it's time to talk about the final thoughts i guess we have on 2022 and a couple of ground rules to explain how we approach this best and worst of anime episode um, because there are some particular things to keep in mind when we're going through when we're kind of talking through our picks and how we landed on those picks So the most important thing to clarify is this is not an awards show or a ranking. It really is just the best and worst of the things that we watched in 2022 that actually aired in 2022. So we're only counting anime that completed in this year. So if you think about Demon Slayer Season 2, the Entertainment District arc, for example, we would consider that completed in 2022, even though it started airing in 2021. On the flip side, we would not consider My Hero Academia Season 6 to be completed in 2022 because even though it started this year, it's still ongoing and is actually going to complete airing in 2023. We only feel right talking about anime that have completed this year so that we have full context and can actually comment on the show or the season or the part or the core or whatever in its entirety. There's also no honorable mentions. We forced ourselves to choose just one best and worst in each category. So there's plenty out there, you know, for each category that we could probably talk about, but we're gonna narrow it down to just the very one pick that comes to mind. So while there might be several things that we could mention for a category, we're really going to just narrow in on the one that that resonated the most with us or the one that we really feel is the best and the worst for that that category, that section. And so now I'm going to do our very quick rundown of every anime we watched in 2022, not counting OVAs or specials. That way um, everyone can get a sense of the anime that we considered when making our best and worst of list. Okay, here we go. The Orbital Children, Demon Slayer Season 2, Fruits Basket Prelude, Kotaro Lives Alone, The Girl from the Other Side, 86 Part 2, Orient Part 1 and 2, Platinum End, Ranking of Kings, Teasing Master Takagi-san Season 3 and the Movie, Yashahime Season 2, My Dress Up Darling, Akebi's Sailor Uniform, Sasaki and Miyano, Sabikui Bisco, Love of Kill, Odd Taxi Into the Woods, 
The Case Study of Vanitas Part 2, Attack on Titan, The Final Season Part 2, Tokyo 24th Ward, Shaman King, Bubble, Your Boy Kong Ming, Aharan is Indecipherable, Tomodachi Game, Komi Can't Communicate Season 2, Love After World Domination, Spy Family Part 1 and Part 2. The Rising of the Shield Hero Season 2, Shikimori is Not Just a Cutie, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stone Ocean Part 2 and 3, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, Rent-A-Girlfriend Season 2, My Stepmom's Daughter Is My Ex, The Yakuza's Guide to Babysitting, Buchigire, When Will Ayumu Make His Move, Lycoris Recoil, Shoot, Goal to the Future, Classroom of the Elite Season 2, Made in Abyss Season 2, The Devil's a Part-Timer Season 2. Call of the Night, Shinobi no Itoki, Police in a Pod, Housing Complex C, Chimimo, Summertime Rendering, A Couple of Cuckoos, Romantic Killer, I'm the Villainess, so I'm Taming the Final Boss, Mob Psycho 103, Akiba Made War, Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer, Raven of the Inner Palace, More Than a Married Couple But Not Lovers, Chainsaw Man, and Uncle from Another World, aka Isekai Oji-san. Oh my God, I'm out of breath. Jesus fucking Christ. I'm sure I'm going to edit out all the breaths that you had to take in between. I I can't breathe. Um, I counted 58 anime. Oh my God. Jesus. (laughs) So we have quite a number under our belt that we're considering for these categories for this year. And again, it was a great year in anime. There was a lot of great shit to watch. So now moving on to those categories. Again, these are the best and worst of... Uh, for 2022 anime and we're going to start with protagonist so let's do okay if i'm remembering correctly i think we both share our best and then we both share our worst is that right um i think so well we're gonna do it that way this year (laughs) it's been a whole year since the last time we did this so i'm a little rusty so for protagonist do you want to kick us off or do you want me to kick us off you can go first. I always like to hear your responses first Ooh, before mine. Putting me in the hot seat. Okay. So for best protagonist, my pick is Chisato from Lycoris Recoil. Really? Yeah, I know. Wow. I was. I had a feeling you were going to be surprised because I was surprised at myself. Going through the list of anime that we've seen from this year, there's no one who quite stands out like Chisato. There's something about Lycoris Recoil that like stands out on its own because it's not at all what any of us expected. It's like cute girls doing badass things. But Chisato has this like infectious, fun, bubbly, warm personality that is unlike any other protagonist that I've uh, been that I've come across in 2022. So I have to say, like she. She stole the show in her own show, but also among a lot of the protagonists that we had this year. Yeah, I love Chisato. Um, she was the standout of Lycoris, Lycoris Recoil, however you want to say it. Uh, definitely a, a contender for, for best girl, although we'll save that category for later. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think she kind of reminds me of Batman. You know why? She reminds you of Batman? She has the no-kill rule. Oh, that's true. That's true. But doesn't Spider-Man also have a no-kill rule? Well, I think Batman's (laughs) more known for it. All right. So my best protagonist for 2022, this might seem odd to you, but I put Jolene from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stone Ocean, parts two and three. That's not weird. I I can totally get behind that. I mean, I I looked, I guess it was weird because I looked through my entire list of anime that I watched this year. And I feel like Jolene stuck out the most out of all of them. I think particularly because she is the embodiment uh, embodiment of like the prototypical Joestar tenacity and resolve. 
with her being the newest member of the Jojo bloodline and seeing her journey from this rebellious delinquent to this selfless world saver is one that's very synonymous with another Jojo protagonist. I'm sure you can figure out which one, but I think it's her constant show of determination and character despite these increasingly insurmountable odds, which is really awe-inspiring, especially with how her story in Stone Ocean concludes. It feels sort of like a break from the JoJo norm, but in a way, it's one that still calls back to its roots, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. And I think that's a great pick for best protagonist. She has very obvious very strong character development throughout the entire stone ocean part and she's just somebody you root for the whole way through Mm -hmm. not once was i not rooting for jolene to reach her goal and, and achieve what she was setting out to achieve because she is so driven she's so passionate she has that joestar blood flowing through her and it was oh my god it was a wild ride it was great to watch Now my pick for worst protagonist this year is going to have to go to Mirai from Platinum End. Whoa. Yeah, fuck that. (laughs) I guess he's kind of depressing as a protagonist. Yeah, let me just explain really quick. Like The reason I picked Mirai, at first I really liked his character in, in the first few episodes of Platinum End. But so quickly, he just became a drag. I was like, man, you are just such a downer. Like, I get you are going through things, but not once did it ever feel like he got a grip on what he needed to do. So I think it's fine if his character starts off, you know, struggling as he was. I mean, he went through a lot of crazy shit, but it never felt like he really changed or grew or anything. Like, it just... He just did what he did because he felt passionate about this particular um, this this particular thing about not hurting anybody else or not putting anyone through any uh, any bad situations, but didn't even feel passionate about that at times. He would still get down in the dumps about it or start to doubt his own mentality on on the world. And I, I don't know. It was just it was frustrating watching him. I just wanted to shake him and be like. I get that you're upset. I get that you're sad. I get that you're going through some stuff. But at some point, you just got to do it. You just got to buckle down and fucking do it. And I feel like as the series went on, he became less of a focal point uh, and more of just a catalyst for things to happen. So by technical standards, he's not really a great protagonist. (laughs) Yeah, because he couldn't keep the attention on him. He couldn't... uh... He didn't steal the show the way Chisato did, that's for sure. And my worst protagonist for 2022, this is going to be funny. I put a Kebby from a Kebby Sailor oh. uniform. <laughs> I don't think I've ever cared less about the day in the life of a school student. And I get it. A Kebby Sailor uniform is like a slice of life anime. But everything that happens in a Kebby's life is just so bright and positive which is a good thing to to look like to watch but realistically you've got to have some sort of conflict in your life and the only conflict she really had was that she was the only one who wore this sailor uniform (laughs) while all these other kids are wearing their the regular school uniform i agree she was like 
overly optimistic. Like it's fine if the the theme of the show is positivity and like finding the beautiful things in the small things in life. But damn, she was like almost too optimistic where I was concerned that she was like disconnected from reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like w what is she going to do when she grows up? Just still look at everything through a rose-colored lens? Yeah, life <laughs> is not as beautiful all the time yeah. that you think it is. <laughs> Again, that's a very optimistic thing to do. But yeah, sometimes you just have to be a realist. And I don't think a Kevy is, is capable of that. She's clearly not a jaded millennial, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Next category is best and worst antagonist. So my pick for best antagonist definitely, without a doubt, has to go to Poochie from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure oh. Stone Ocean. Holy shit, Poochie <laughs> was pick. great. He was great. I won't spoil anything because it's it would be a travesty to spoil what goes on with Poochie, but his development is just as crazy as Jolene's. It's so nice to see a villain, a main antagonist, go through as much development as Poochie did. I feel like that's not always the case. Usually the, the main villain has it all put together. They kind of know what they're getting themselves into. They kind of have their plan all laid out, and that's what makes them a, a formidable force to go up against. But Poochie was trying to figure it out along the way just as much as Jolene was. And he grew from a very small villain to this insane force that basically rivaled um, a lot of different aspects. Uh, I'm trying not to spoil anything. It, he rivaled a lot. I'll just leave it at that. Um, so I, I was thoroughly impressed by Poochie. Um, he's just a fucking badass. And he has one of the best villain themes. I, I loved his villain theme because he's a priest. So like it was, mm -hmm. it was just like a perfect fit for him. No, yeah, he definitely has a great character theme in Stone Ocean. Um, yeah, I would say Poochie is up there with the villain greats of JoJo. Um, I, I, I agree that the escalation of him as a threat through Stone Ocean is something that was just mesmerizing to see. Because yeah, he, he starts off as this lowly priest who just has an obsession with prime numbers to... A, a villain that has one of the most like mind-blowing stands out there. I'm not going to spoil anything about it, but it's just his development as an antagonist in JoJo is just crazy. My best antagonist for 2022, I'm kind of scared to say this, but I put Aaron Yeager from Attack on Titan, the final season. What are two. you, Crunchyroll Awards? <laughs> yeah, I remember this was a this was a controversial hot take uh, last year, especially with the Crunchyroll Awards. But well, for anyone who's not familiar, the Crunchyroll Anime Awards for I guess 2021 mm -hmm. put Aaron Yeager as both an option for best protagonist and best antagonist of the year. It's which, provocative. I mean, to, <laughs> I, well, I guess when you think about it, they're not wrong. Like you, you could view him either way, and that's why he's such a an interesting character. But anyway, please explain why Aaron landed on your antagonist list instead of your protagonist list. Yes, um, especially with uh, part two, I think a lot of the shit that Aaron pulls in this core makes him really teeter the line between hero and villain. And I think it's this dichotomy which catapults the story of Attack on Titan into a really intriguing place. 
I wish I could go into more detail about like why Aaron is so interesting as a villain, but I feel like I'm going to leak major spoilers for those of you out there who haven't watched Attack on Titan. Uh, so maybe once we re return to our final season uh, episodic reviews, you can get more details through, <laughs> through those discussions. Yeah, I, I again, I can see why Aaron would land on some antagonist lists. I, I think that's what makes him great. I love that mm -hmm. he is such a gray space for Attack on Titan that he could go either way. It truly depends on your own personal view of what he's doing, the way the story is unfolding, and what you anticipate the end will be for him when the show finally concludes. So I, I get it. I, I get it. That's totally fair. Um, and yeah, well, I guess we'll see by the end of the show where he actually, I guess, finally lands in the protagonist category or the antagonist category. Wait, can I ask a question, though? Sure. So if you're putting Aaron as antagonist, who would you consider to be the protagonist? Just name a name. You don't have to explain why, because I'm, I'm worried it's going to be spoilery. Oh, just in, drop a name. In the final season part two? Yeah. So like, if he's leading the antagonist role... And there has to be a protagonist. And who would you say that protagonist is? I'll call them the LD Avengers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Collectively. I, I understand. Okay. <laughs> My pick for the worst antagonist of 2022. Okay. Some people are going to think this is like a cop out, but legitimately, I feel this is the worst antagonist, the worst villain. And that's the giant turtle from the Rising of the Shield Hero season two. <laughs> Holy shit. I've already ranted about this a million times, and I'm going to keep ranting about it. I hate that turtle. I don't care about that turtle. I, I just, Oh my god, it was like the worst thing to have to sit through. Even though it was only half of the season, it was just too much. Too much. I don't care about the turtle. Um, for anyone who missed out on it, we did have uh, Ash from Simping for Senpai podcast join me to talk all about The Rising of the Shield Hero Season 2, which was episode 95 of Strictly Anime. And we just... We just vented. It was a nice therapeutic venting session about how disappointing that season was, but mostly about how stupid the turtle was. I just didn't care. Um, the turtle looked ugly. It was a really bad attempt at CGI, and they were trying to fight this turtle for what felt like an eternity with no progress, and they kept, I guess, slight spoilers for Shield Hero Season 2. There were these moments where you get blue ball because you think they finish destroying this turtle and then the turtle just keeps going. The, the turtle comes back to life or some shit like that. It was just annoying. It was just annoying and I didn't care and it was not that feeling of shield hero that I was hoping for after the success of season one. So it was a, a huge disappointment in my mind and that's why it's the worst antagonist. Yeah, I was sitting in during that recording session between you and Ash, and it was basically a roast-a-thon of Shield Hero <laughs> Season 2. I never watched the show, but I don't think I've heard two people talk with such an intense hatred over, like, a, an animal. Over a turtle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> More than, like, I, I think, like, mosquitoes are probably the most hated form of animal out there. But, yeah, just so much hate for this this one turtle. I just... I just didn't care about the turtle. And then we went to Crunchyroll Expo where they had like 
panels and stuff dedicated to the rising of shield hero season two and i went to them because i still enjoyed like the voice actors the music from kevin pankin the first season but the whole time i wanted to be like somebody acknowledge how bad this turtle this turtle shit is somebody talk about it i need to know what happened with this turtle yeah i felt like with those panels there's there was always a white elephant in the room regarding the season or i guess the white turtle in the room (laughs) (laughs) My worst antagonist for 2022 goes to Kyria from 86 Part 2. Oh, is that the crazy one? You know yes. I'm bad with, with names, but that's like the, the crazy the, the craziest, one from like that, that villain. The craziest of all the crazies okay. <laughs> in 86 Part 2. Uh, I'm going to try to tread lightly with why Kyria is the worst antagonist for this year. Um I get that he is supposed to serve as an example to the male protagonist, Shin, of what would happen to him if he took things too far. But I feel like the dynamic between Shin and this antagonist did not feel as emotionally resonating as with the antagonist of part one, which was, I think his name was Shore. Uh, the, the really only terrifying thing with Kyria was with his OP stats and abilities. <laughs> but that's pretty much it. Yeah, I can agree. I almost wish that... So I loved 86, part one and part mm-hmm. two. I think it was phenomenal. But I I almost wish that they took the antagonist from part one and continued to use that individual. Or even just maybe flip it around. Yeah, that would have been more impactful. That would have been way more impactful, actually. Um, so I agree. I think Kiria came and went. Like, we didn't know much about him, and yet he was this formidable force. And then, like, suddenly we moved on. Like, I did, it just, like, was so quick. I don't mm-hmm. know, in the way that all of it happened, that I kind of just wish they didn't even have him as a villain. Yeah, I mean, the whole second core makes him out to be this really big threat, which he is, but... There's no depth to it that I could really connect with, like the way, again, that Shin had connected with the previous antagonist. So as much as I I too love 86, I think they could have gone a different route with the antagonist. Next category is best and worst supporting character, because there are some uh, very... Very interesting supporting characters out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So my pick for best supporting character has to go to Kage from Ranking of Kings. The little black blob that I did not know what to expect from. And he he just stole my heart. Like he was great. Um, I know that we talked at length about Kage in our Ranking of Kings review episodes. We do have two of them, part one and part two out there. Um, on Strictly Anime, so go check those out if you want to hear more. But Kage, I think, was just so so special because he never once stopped supporting Boji. He never once um, gave up on Boji. He never once betrayed him, even when the show led you to believe that he may be uh, a character to watch out for. He may be a character who could suddenly turn on somebody. He was just there for Boji through and through. And on top of that, you got his backstory, Kage's backstory, pretty early on in the show. And you could feel the pain that he went through. And you could you could understand why he relates so 
so much to Boji and what Boji has gone through. So I, I loved Kage and I just thought he was so funny. Um, even if he's from the, the thief clan of sorts, I don't know what you would call it, but he's technically a thief by nature, but he doesn't use that in, well, he doesn't generally use that in a bad way. He uses those skills, those thief skills that he has in order to support Boji and be that that best secondhand man that you could ever ask for. So I, I love Kage. I think he's a great character and such a unique character design. Yeah, when we got the backstory for Kage in the first part of Ranking of Kings, I didn't think I would feel any sort of emotion toward this fucking black blob, but <laughs> you do. Uh, it's crazy. But yeah, I would say Kage is definitely up there. Uh, with Speedwagon from JoJo as like best <laughs> cheerleader. So more power to him. The best supporting character that I put on my list goes to Shin Karino from Kotaro Lives Alone. Is that the neighbor? Yes. Yeah, he's great. Oh my God, he's so good. <laughs> that was actually going to be my other pick. I'm glad that you oh, picked perfect. that one. Um, and yeah, I, there are so many things I could say about Kotaro Lives Alone, but just to talk about uh, Karino, uh, he's the unwilling guardian who ends up being the most important figure in Kotaro's life. Uh, he, he didn't need to step in to help out Kotaro when he joins their apartment complex, but I just love that there is so much more to this lazy manga artist, the most significant of which is his empathy and his caring heart. And I think the one scene that cemented Karino as the best supporting character for me this year was in like the later episodes. Um, I, it, it's it's a place that he and Kotaro visit, but the thing that Karina does for Kotaro at this place is just the most inspiring and heartwarming thing that you could see a person do. He's great. And I love that he assumes this role as like mentor and like big brother to Kotaro despite not wanting to. I think he was very hesitant to do so because it was so out of his realm, out of his like capabilities. He's never done anything like this. You can tell how unsure he is about how to even interact with Kotaro when Kotaro first moves in. And yet he just he just steps right in. He does what needs to be done. He does what Mirai couldn't do from Platinum End. Yes. He just does what <laughs> needs to be done, even if it puts him out of his comfort zone. And I'm glad that he did it because it, it was so impactful to Kotaro. And I think was so nice to watch throughout the show because there are multiple times that he does stuff for Kotaro from the smallest things to, I think, some of the biggest, most impactful things that he may not realize really hit hard for Kotaro, but you see it as the audience. You see the after effect, and you see how much it meant to that little boy. So, yeah, he is the best neighbor ever. <laughs> I love him. Mm -hmm. My pick for worst supporting character. This one was kind of tough because there were a couple of them that were like, like mid to me but they weren't like the worst ever so because we're forcing ourselves to just pick one i had to pick manabu kun from tomodachi game which is that cgi mascot oh he kind of like runs the show he mm -hmm. kind of like runs the games and i just found him to be annoying i didn't like any of the voices that they did for him i didn't like that he was cg he just stuck out like a sore thumb among that show and I didn't find anything interesting about him. I was like, why can't he just be 2D? And why can't he just be like 
I don't know, like kind of like Saw. Like I know Saw has an actual character, but like most of the time you just hear a voice. I would rather have a voiceover on the speakers than have like this character. I don't know. Jigsaw, you mean? Jigsaw, yeah, thank you. Ooh. I couldn't think of the name because, you know, I'm bad with names. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I didn't care for Manabu-kun very much. Uh, I don't have much to say about him. But, yeah, if, if I'm having to pick the worst supporting character, I would probably say it's Manabu-kun. Yeah, he was just there, like, to to witness things and kind of be the messenger and try to egg people to betray one another. But kind not of like even, a like... devil's advocate. And and that that can be a fun role, right? Like in these types of like mind games, um, there's plenty of shows like them out there. Those roles can be played really well by certain characters and like really cause things to get like fucked up. But I felt like Manabu-kun kind of went there, but never went all the way there. I was like, just make this shit crazy. Make this shit entertaining. Make this shit fun to watch. That's the whole point of Tomodachi game. But he never, like, went there. He never pushed the envelope. He never shot anyone point blank. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I felt like he could have been better for what he was being touted as, which is, like, this this uh, ambiguous leader of the Tomodachi game. My worst supporting character for 2022 is a little less severe, I guess, than Manabu-kun. I picked Karasawa who's the rival music producer in Ya Boy Kong Ming. Let's talk about the most cliched foil in a TV series. Even the way that he's drawn, it just looks like he has resting anger face. Resting bitch face and a cane, right? He had a cane yeah, the whole time? Yeah, he had a cane. So uh, just so tropey in just the way he looks and also the way he acts. I get that he represents the sort of dog-eat-dog nature of the music and recording industry, but he was just so much or too much of a one-note character whose minor plot towards the end of the the series had just too stereotypical of a trajectory. I just felt like there was nothing complex about him. He was just cynical because the story needed him to be. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess somewhat of a spoiler for the end of your boy Kong Ming. Uh, to your point, I felt like they touted him as like this this angry, salty character. But guys, it's okay because in the end, he's actually a really nice guy. Like yeah. it was just, it was too cliche. It was too tropey. And I was like, oh, well, okay. I guess you're just going to forgive him for being a fucking asshole the whole time. Mm -hmm. Just because you learned one piece of information about him. You're like, oh, well, I guess I understand why you're a dick. Yeah, it's like, oh, the power of music saved this guy or something. <laughs> and maybe it's just because they felt like uh, your boy Kung Ming needed a, a villain role, but I don't think he really fulfilled it well. Moving on to the next set of categories, they're all going to be music-related, starting off with the best and worst OP from this year. My pick for best OP... And I will be shocked if it's not your pick as well. It is Chiki Chiki Ban Ban by Queendom from your boy Kong Ming. Yes. So the OP to Kong, your boy Kong Ming. <laughs> no contest at all. There the, you go. <laughs> the absolute anime vibe for 2022. And yes, this was my pick for best OP as well. It was completely unexpected. It was so fucking good. It was like, it didn't need to be that good. It didn't need to hit that hard, but it did. And it did it well. And it's it's just a great fucking song. And I think what really steals it all for me with this, this OP is that it comes from 
that Hungarian, right? It's Hungarian? Yeah, it's a Hungarian music artist named Jolie or Jolly. Um, the song Buliki Rali, which they readapted with Japanese lyrics as Chiki Chiki Ban Ban. Which is crazy to me. How do you go from a Hungarian EDM song to Chiki Chiki Ban Ban? Like, where, where did they find this? And how did they... What do you, it's not like is this like is it a sample is that what you call it do they sample it or did they like remake it's, the it's song? It's kind of like yeah, I would say more so a cover of a the cover. song, okay, but yeah. like an EDM remix of it, even though it was itself like a Eurobeat song. It's like a Japanese cover of it because yeah, it's all in Japanese, even though the original is all in Hungarian. So yeah, it's it's just the craziest situation. It has the coolest visuals. It has the coolest dance moves in it. It's a fucking vibe. It's a great OP. I want to know what the prompt was uh, for whoever had to put together this OP. But then they were just like, yes. And then they just put this whole thing together that just feels like something out of a fever dream. And I know we we already heaped praises on this OP in last week's episode, which talked about the best OPs and EDs from 2022. But there was no other OP this year that has been so tantalizing to watch and just funky enough to groove to. And I'm going to say it again, this definitely needs to be bumping at an anime rave or an anime convention rave, or it's not even worth it to run to the dance floor. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, And I I could talk at length about this. I want to just listen to it while we're chatting on this episode. Um, But now we have to move on to the worst OP. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Mine might be kind of like a a hot take worst OP. But I'm going to have to go with, oh boy, the OP to Rent-A-Girlfriend Season 2. Wow. That was my same Was it really? (laughs) Was it Himitsu Koi Gokoro by Chico with Honeyworks? Yes. Wow, we shared everything in this category. Wow, okay, that's that's very unusual. You and I are, are pretty opposite oftentimes. Well, there you go. It's it's the OP to Rent a Girlfriend season two. The reason being is that the first OP from season one was just so fucking good. The Peggy's killed it. The dance scene in the beginning of the OP was just so fucking cute. I wanted to learn it and I never did, so I, I got to get on that. But then season two's OP comes around and the song is really subdued by comparison. I don't like the... Okay, I, I I hate to like bash on the way somebody sings, but I personally just don't vibe with the way that the singer sings. Something about it is very like cheesy to me. I feel bad saying this. I can, I'm, no, I can see that. I'm just like trying to, my best to describe like how, why this is on my, my, why this is my pick for the worst OP. But yeah, the way she sings is just not something that I particularly enjoy. And then the, the dance sequence, I'm glad they brought back a little dance sequence for the second season's OP, but it just is nowhere near as fun as the one from season one. I don't want to learn this one from season two. So yeah, I would just say overall, I was really excited for season two's OP and ended up a little bit disappointed just because I felt like it didn't come close to what we got from season one of Rent-A-Girlfriend. Yeah, I pretty much agree with all the points that you made. I think it's not a terrible OP. It just isn't as much of a banger as Centimeter by the Peggy's from season one, which I'll argue... That song should have just been an ongoing OP for Rent-A-Girlfriend. I think it encapsulates the show so well. Um, And just visuals-wise, 
it, it feels like a carbon copy of the first season's OP. Uh, I couldn't tell you the difference between the two besides the, the dance that they do in each respective one. But yeah, the dance sequence in this one is a lot slower and not as exciting as the one from the first OP. Moving on to best and worst ED. I don't think we'll have overlap here, although maybe we will. Maybe for best. I don't Let's know. see. Okay. Okay. Um, so my pick for best ED is the ED to my dress up darling, Koino Yukue by Akari Akase. Kyun, Kyun, Kyun. That's what I have. Okay. <laughs> three for three right now. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, again, need I say more? I, I say again. I said this in our um, our previous episode, best uh openings and or favorite openings and endings of 2022 need i say more other than kyun 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 all you need to hear is kyun 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 and you know exactly what we're talking about if you've watched my dress up darling it's a great ed the song is just chill as fuck it's so cute and i love the visuals normally i don't like super stylized visuals um, but the the visuals for this ed were like more cartoon Cartoony, not so much chibi. Like it's like a mix of chibi and like cartoony feel to it. I'm really bad at describing this, but I just really liked how relaxing and nice the ED was, both in sound and in visuals. And sometimes you needed that with some of the crazy episodes we got in My Dress Up Darling. It was nice to kind of come down from the energy that is Marin Kitagawa and just have Kyun 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 playing. Yeah, this is one of the few cases of a song that grew on me from the bubblegum pop genre, which is normally like hearing chalkboard scratches to me. Uh, but yeah, the Kyun Kyun Kyun, it's a peppy mid-tempo bop that's coupleized with sort of stylized doodles. Wait, um, coupleized? Coupled? Did I say couple? Like, <laughs> okay, let me restart that. <laughs> I had to think I, about a, that. <laughs> it's a peppy mid-tempo bop coupled with stylized doodles of Mayan and Gojo. I think that's what you were trying to go for, yeah. like doodles. And those kind of visuals, I think, complement the uppity and lovey-dovey nature of this show. Uh, and yeah, like I said, it's it's a bop. And then my pick for worst ED I think we're going to be different here. Yeah, we're definitely going to be different because mine has like a caveat. So for worst ED, I have chosen the ED from The Devil's a Part-Timer Season 2. And I'm not even going to mention the song name because it's not about the song. I thought the song was was fine. I, I enjoyed it. But it's the visuals that piss me off. And if you watch The Devil's a Part-Timer Season 2 or, or both seasons, Seasons 1 and 2, if you kind of know about The Devil is a Part-Timer, you might feel similarly to me and be like, why the fuck was this all about Chiho? Why was it about Chichan? I don't oh. care about Chichan. Why was it so focused on her? Um, I I just, I don't know. She's annoying. I don't think there's a good part of the Devil's a Part-Timer fandom that does not like Chichan because she feels intrusive. She feels annoying. She feels pointless. She was a little better in season two, I guess, in terms of like usefulness, but she doesn't need to be there. And a lot of people are frustrated by this character. And yet the ED focused entirely on her. And I was like, bro, that's not who I want to see. Make the ED about Emmy, okay? That's who I care about. That's who I want to see at the end of each episode, not Chiho. So I was just really annoyed. And it sucked because the visuals were really nice, too. They were pretty well done, especially compared to the animation, which was 
lackluster in season two. So yeah, I just was frustrated. Like it pissed me off whenever I had to watch this ED. So I would just skip it. Yeah, you, you just reminded me of what the ED for Devil's a Part-Timer was. Um, I forgot that it was just so intensely focused on Chiho, even though she didn't really play. I mean, she did play a, a, a considerable role in season two, but not to the point where she should be the focus of the ED. Um, so strange choice there. I wonder what focus group told them to put Chiho as the focus of the ED. My worst ED for 2022, and I think I'm going to need to explain my choice here. I put Distant Dreamer by Duffy from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean Parts 2 and 3. What? But I think it's, really? <laughs> it's in the same vein as how you view Devil is a Part-Timer season, season 2's ED. I think this ED is only the worst in the sense that we really didn't get a new ED for Stone Ocean after part one. Because uh, once part two released and we were gearing up to hear a new song, we just see the shot of the ocean again and the the, the drum beat and the, the slow electric guitar strum. And I know there were kind of some tweaks to the visuals of this ED. And the song itself is great. But I feel like major ED changes are almost like a staple in JoJo's Wizard Adventure. So it would have been nice for part six to follow suit with the second and third core. Especially because we were rooting for Jolene by Dolly Parton to appear as an ED at some point. I think it's a crime that that was not an ED. I mean, they acknowledged that song in the beginning of Stone Ocean. But man, I mean... I just, how do you not have Jolene by Dolly Parton as one of the ED songs for mm -hmm. Jolene's story? Oh, it, it hurts. It hurts. But no, I get what you're saying. I think it was a disappointment that we didn't get different EDs when we were getting different OPs, essentially. Um, so it's, it's, it was weird. There were some weird choices with the OPs and EDs for Stone Ocean. I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, but it definitely felt like a, a a different approach, I guess you could say, um, than a lot of the other JoJo parts. And the last of our music-based categories is best and worst soundtrack. So for best soundtrack, I put Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Mm. This one was kind of tricky because there were a, a couple of really good soundtracks out there, but there was something about the Cyberpunk Edge Runners soundtrack that just blew me away. It was every song choice was just a perfect fit for this anime. There was nothing that stuck out like a sore thumb. Every single one was a fucking vibe. Like while we only put one or two on our spot or on your Spotify playlist, you, I could easily see us putting the entire soundtrack on the, the Spotify playlist. Um, it had a nice variety. Not every single song was this like edgy, moody, you know, song playing throughout the show there were some upbeat songs some really interesting sounding songs so i love that it had not only great matches for the aesthetic of the show but had a great variety as well and that ed slaps fucking hard i mean that is a fucking vibe it's so mm -hmm. good it's let you down by david something right <laughs> david Potsiadwo. there you go <laughs> i knew you could pronounce it but yeah it's it's a fantastic soundtrack and it enhanced 
the entire experience of Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which already had fantastic animation, a really strong story. So that's how you know it's a good soundtrack when it just amplifies everything that you're watching. I feel like they they sort of had a crutch because most of the songs featured in the anime were straight from the Cyberpunk 2077 video game. That's true. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) I I agree. Like they, They used it in great ways in the series like i feel like they each song that they use just set the right mood and tone for the scenes that they they use the songs in so as for my best soundtrack for 2022 it's gonna be the same as with last year's pick i put attack on titan the final season part two i just think that the composers hiroyuki sawano and kota yamamoto just knocked it out of the park once again with haunting new melodies and callbacks to the scores of previous seasons in the second core. It had the right balance of apocalyptic and reflective in a core that's just chock full of conflicting perspectives and emotions. And I think a great example of this, for those of you who want to listen to the soundtrack for the final season part two, is the dramatic but gripping difference between two key tracks, the first of which is Footsteps of Doom, and then the second of which is Into the Night. So overall, I thought that with Final Season Part 2, it had a beautifully composed soundtrack that really immersed us in a television experience that almost ascends to theatrical heights. I agree. I think Attack on Titan's soundtrack is another example of a soundtrack that amplifies the viewing experience. The, some of those songs, like there's such an eerie vibe to them. There's such an intensity behind them that even without watching anything, you can feel the scenes that will be playing out as those songs are playing. So it's it's always been a great soundtrack and it'll continue to be a great soundtrack, um, I'm sure, with the, the final part of the final season. And then my pick for worst soundtrack, this one I have to caveat again by saying I, I it's hard for me because I think of worst as a soundtrack I disliked or couldn't stand listening to. It just like, you know, ruined the anime for me because I couldn't stand listening to the music. But this year I didn't have any like that. So I went with the soundtrack that was most unremarkable to me. Um, and, and so I kind of looked at the list of anime that we've seen this year and I picked based on an anime where I couldn't remember any of the music. Um, and, and that's what I, I went with. So like if I could at least, you know, see the title of the anime and at least remember some of the music that played, then, you know, I, I kind of figured that was somewhat remarkable to me. But then there's Tomodachi Game where I literally couldn't remember anything. I could barely even remember the OP and the ED. So it's hard for me to even really comment about it because I don't remember the music. Uh, I don't know if you remember any of the music, but... No, not really. Yeah, it was just... It, it just left no impression on me. And, and so I guess that's a testament to it not being such a great soundtrack, although it's it's often personal taste, personal preference. Um, I, I just... Yeah, I don't really remember anything about the music from that show. I don't have anything else to say. It's just that's all it is. <laughs> I think my pick for worst soundtrack of 2022, I, I went a similar route as you. Uh, there wasn't music that just made me bleed out of my ears, but my pick was for my pick for worst soundtrack goes to 
aharen san wa hakaranai, or aharen is indecipherable, because I cannot decipher a single track from this anime that doesn't sound like every other slice of life or rom-com anime soundtrack. You didn't like the abundance of that little like flute or whatever that kept playing in every say, fucking song? Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say like the rinky-dink piano and flute, which I know are staples of such anime series musical scores as the slice of life and rom-com. But I think coupled with the very monotonous dialogue in this show... It made for a very sleepy viewing experience for me because I was falling asleep watching a lot of Aharen. I forgot about that. You were. You were like nodding off on the couch next to me. And I was like, should we should we pause it? Should we stop watching? <laughs> no, it, it, nothing fucking happened. And it didn't help that the music wasn't exciting. I mean, it, it can't be exciting for two characters that have very little personality. But... Yeah, I, I just couldn't. It was just a bad experience. <laughs> it was, yeah, the, the deadpan humor uh, coupled with that music and all that. It was just like a very subdued watch every fucking episode. So, yeah, I, I could see that. I, I For me, I could remember the weird rinky-dink flute. Um, that's why I didn't pick it for mine. But I, I could see that being a pick um, if I had to swap it out for Tomodachi Game. And I, I looked up a, a track from Aharen on YouTube just to confirm my suspicions. And yeah, I couldn't stand it. It was the, the <laughs> stupid piano and the stupid flute. And I immediately stopped listening to it. The next category is best and worst animation. This one was fucking difficult because there were some gorgeously animated anime out there. There was a lot of like great high production quality level um, works that I... I was struggling to pick between. But when it comes to best animation, I I ended up going with Chainsaw Man. Mm, okay. I, I just think that there's something very cinematic about Chainsaw Man. Um, the movements are incredibly fluid. Uh, they're... There was, you know, the the ugly CGI from the first episode, but overall, it's just beautifully done for a show that you wouldn't necessarily call beautiful. It's a very, you know, rough show. It's it's blood, it's gore, it's intense, but it just looks really, really good. So yeah, I had to give it to Chainsaw Man. We all kind of knew that it was gonna be decently impressive in terms of animation because Mappa was the one adapting it. And I would say, at least from an animation perspective, they delivered. I am thoroughly impressed. Yeah, I will say that Mappa seemed very reverent of the material and knew that there were high expectations for Chainsaw Man. And besides, again, the, the sort of wonky CGI with the Chainsaw Man in the first episode, I think they delivered on those promises really well. My choice for best animation, and I'm kind of surprised you didn't put this one, but like you said, there was just every, or most series in 2022 just had stellar animation. But for me, it has to go to Spy Family, which I think it's just a remarkable collaboration between Wit Studio and Cloverworks. And I think it's just more so the fact that I feel like, I think we discussed this before, that every episode is switched off between both studios. So just knowing that there's seamless animation between episodes that each respective studio works on 
that's just that's like mind blowing to me. It's kind of like if I was if you gave me something that you drew and you wanted me to replicate it like exactly as you did. Um, and in that sense, it never felt like there was a dip in quality in certain episodes. Like everything was just perfectly drawn and perfectly stylized. I completely agree. And I know you said you're surprised it's not on my list. This was actually what I was struggling with. I was choosing between Chainsaw Man and Spy Family for best animation. Um, yeah, Spy Family easily could have been my pick for, for best animation. It looks phenomenal. You're absolutely right about how how impressive it is that Wit and Cloverworks are working so seamlessly together in order to bring us a very high quality anime. And I just think it, it, yeah, it looks good. It looks clean as fuck. I mean, it is just perfectly clean. Even some of the most intense action scenes, even some of the most minor moments, it looks fucking good. I I just like, it's eye candy for me. Like if there's mm-hmm. one anime this year that is fucking eye candy, it is definitely Spy Family. My pick for worst animation has to go to Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer. This is going to be a sore spot for the manga readers. Um, If you're not familiar, the the manga readers have been super excited about Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer being adapted into an anime. Apparently, the story is phenomenal. It has really high ratings. The, The manga has really high ratings. And then this shit comes out and it's a huge disappointment. So being an anime only person, I was going into thinking, oh my God, I'm like so excited for this story. I dropped it after a few episodes. That is how fucking bad this adaptation was and how bad the animation was. It has like this ugly, like almost like a filter over it where everything has this like greenish, like washed out, like tint to it. Um, I think one of the biggest signs that there's animation issues is that the OP just reuses moments from the anime instead of having original artwork or original sequences for the OP. Like, it's just, I was looking at it and I'm like, this just looks like they're rehashing a bunch of stuff. There's even scenes where it looks like they blew up an image instead of redrawing it. So it's like a little bit grainy. The The movements are just so janky. I, I just disliked everything. So if if Spy Family is the eye candy for me this year, Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer was like staring directly into a used toilet. It was just like, what am I looking at? It's so ugly. I don't want to watch it anymore. And again, I dropped it because I just I couldn't handle it. So I'd have to give it to, to that show. Although I'm not sure if you've even seen any of the animation or if you're familiar with Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer. I am not. And I was considering watching the show until... You, you told me about how horrible this was. What <laughs> um, I did look up that the studio behind Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer is Studio Nas. And we know them well for being the same studio that did My Sister, My Writer. Ah, so okay. There you go. That's all I need to say. <laughs> yeah. My pick for the worst animation for 2022, you kind of alluded to this earlier. I picked... The Devil is a Part-Timer Season 2. Um, I know that Season 1 was helmed by White Fox, and then Season 2 switched to a different studio, 3 Hertz. Not too familiar with them, but I know that a change in studio does usually signal a change in animation style. And I think you mentioned this, or I read somewhere, that the animation for Season 2 is 
slightly closer in style to the manga. Yeah, it looks much more like the manga art. But I will say that nothing really stood out in season two. And sometimes characters felt flat in the way that they were drawn. And I I found that surprising because it was never that was never a distraction for me in season one which kind of just alludes to the quality of animation for that season in in a way for season two i felt like the animation was a bit amateurish which i think is just another contributing factor to why the devil is a part-timer season two did not live up to the years of hype and expectation built up around it yeah, there the animation was disappointing in Devil's a Part-Timer season 2. There were often times where I would look at the way eyes were drawn and I was like, "Ooh, that looks rough. Ooh, mm-hmm. that looks really janky. I don't know." Especially like Chiho, something about her looked off too. Yeah. And again, I love the art style because I prefer the manga art style to the anime. This is one of the few manga that I actually have read. I didn't finish it. But I did pick it up for quite a bit after we watched season one. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited to see that they're adapting an art style that is closer to the manga. But then it's like, I think you're you're right in saying it felt like an amateur production. The, the way things were drawn was just so weird. I was like, what's going on? I don't understand why this looks the way that it does. Because it's like highly detailed because like the the colors there was like a lot of blending and shading if i remember correctly but just the actual drawings themselves <laughs> didn't look clean mm-hmm. they didn't look aligned um eyes were going every which direction or too far apart or um you know movements were really stilted there was probably only two action scenes the entire time that looked decently good and the rest of it was pretty pretty rough to watch so yeah i'd have to agree with you there on devil's part-timer season two Let's just hold out hope that season three turns out a bit better, both animation-wise and story-wise. Now we're entering some of our more um, spicy or interesting categories. And we're going to start off with best and worst waifu. For my best waifu, I don't think it's any fucking surprise. It's Marin Kitagawa Mm -hmm. from My Dress Up Darling. I have been raving about her all year since My Dress Up Darling premiered. I love her. I think that she is great waifu material. She has such a fantastic personality. And not only that, she's so willing and accepting of everyone's hobbies, no matter how different or unique they may be. She's just fun like she's a person I would actually want to spend time with like she just seems like a great time all around and then there's those titty physics you if you've seen episode two of my dress up darling you understand what I'm talking about she's just fucking awesome I can't forget was it episode 11 either oh (laughs) episode 11 yes (laughs) um you know I I have my personal qualms about Marion but I I do enjoy the fact that she is she is one of us. So, She's <laughs> one of us. <laughs> well, as much as your pick was no surprise, I don't think my pick for best waifu is of any surprise either because that is Komi from Komi Can't Communicate Season 2. That's it. No contest. I don't want to hear any arguments. 
Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a side note, I did get my Komi Nendoroid earlier this week. It just got delivered. It's the only Nendoroid that I've ever owned, and it is precious to me, and I can't wait to put it on display. Uh, yeah, Komi, what can I say? She's she's continuing to pursue her her goal of making a hundred friends and being able to communicate with everybody and i don't think she she does it in a awkwardly sheepish way um people are still open to her and of course she has tanano by her side and i just love that their relationship is starting to blossom even more in season two so like i said I don't want to hear any counter arguments. Komi is best waifu of 2022. Hey, she's the goddess of their high school. So right. a lot of people, and I, I'm sure, feel to, she's best waifu. <laughs> everyone needs to worship her. <laughs> well, my worst waifu pick, I am actually wondering if this is going to be your pick as well. But oh I, I'm going to go with Shikimori from Shikimori's Not Just a Cutie. Because she was touted as, oh my God, waifu material. Look at those faces. Look at those waifu faces. Look at those sundere faces. Mm. She's boring. She is like the anime that she stars in. She is so boring. And again, yeah, waifu faces are great, but that's really all she has going for her. Like waifu faces was all I heard from people. It's all the screenshots I saw from this anime. And that really is the only thing she's got going for her and the only thing that anime has going for it. So I just found her to be flat. Um, she had like, I guess, I don't know. Her whole thing was about wanting to be viewed as really cute, but she's more of like a really tough, um, very capable character. But it was, I don't know, presented in a way that was just boring. I don't know. Everything about the anime was boring and she was boring. So I can't possibly call her best waifu like everyone touted her to be before the anime premiered. So she wasn't actually my pick for worst waifu. But um, I, I will say that Shikimori has a couple redeemable qualities as a waifu. Um, but yeah, I, I have more to say about another character on that show. But I, I can kind of see why Shikimori would be like the bottom of the barrel for you. <laughs> My pick for worst waifu, though, and I'm going to apologize in advance to our friend Kevin. That pick is Ruka from Rent-A-Girlfriend Season 2. <laughs> just this clingy-ass <laughs> bitch who just needs to learn how to move on. And I felt like she had done that in the first season, but she was just on a whole another level of clingy in season two i think she acknowledges her position in the girlfriend rankings to kazuya but she needs to understand her place <laughs> that's all i'll say yeah she we talked about this at length in our rent a girlfriend season two review episode on strictly anime so if you listen to that, you know that I I feel similarly that Ruka was really a pain in the ass, not only for Kazuya, but for me as the viewer for season two. And yeah, she just didn't care about how her actions would impact the one person she was trying to win over. Seems a mm -hmm. little bit counterintuitive to me, but that's Ruka for you. The next category after waifu is, of course, best and worst husbando. And my pick 
for best husbando. I also don't think it's going to be a surprise, but it's Lloyd Forger mm, from Spy mm. Family. He's literally a husband. He is so husbando material. He's an adult. That's pretty fucking awesome. We don't often, you know, get adult. He's an adult. We don't get adults in anime. I don't know. (laughs) Like, it's just he's like an actual functioning adult who is a husband, who is a father, maybe not biologically a father, but like an adoptive father. Um, And sure, I guess, you know, his marriage to your is mostly on paper. But hey, he's still playing the role. Great. So I just watch him and I think he, he can... He goes to multiple jobs. He can cook and clean and help Anya with her homework. I mean, he just checks off all the fucking boxes. Plus, he's just a really cool character. I love spy characters, and he embodies that perfectly. Um, Everything that he does is really, really cool. And I just, I don't know. I love Lloyd. I think he's a great fucking husbando. I think he's the only competent one on that entire show. Yeah, probably. (laughs) You know, it's great. I think what's great about him is that he has to put up with all the shit that's going on around him. Um, It it does kind of waver his morale a bit, but it doesn't stop him from still doing a great job at being a spy and at being a husband to Yor and as a father to Anya. I think the best part about him is that his goals and and what he's fighting for is something that is so good. He just wants peace. He wants a a peaceful, calm, happy place for children to grow up and for families to exist and for for people to not have to live in fear anymore. And that's that is what drives like almost every decision that he makes. He always thinks back to what is the mission? What is the goal? It's to achieve peace. So I think that's also really cool about him is he's just not not only a a great husband at home or whatever or you know, a husband in the facade of being a husband, but he actually has something that he's working toward that is very noble and very, very good. Well, my pick for best husbando might seem a little bit strange, but I put Kong Ming from your boy Kong Ming. Kong Ming? Wait, yes. what? <laughs> Again, it's a weird choice for husbando, <laughs> but I think he still has all the qualities of one. He is loyal, he is respectful, and he has a knack to be quirky when he needs to be. I mean, he uses military strategies of course because he's kong ming from ancient chinese history he uses military strategies to help out a person that he really cares about and so what don't you see about a husbando in that that's true he is really really good in terms of applying his skills for the betterment of the person that he cares about Um, even if it seems like sometimes he goes off and does crazy things there's always a method behind his madness Mm -hmm. and again the fact that he's doing it in order to help somebody else achieve their dreams he's very selfless he doesn't have to do any of that but he's getting this like almost second chance at life um, or like a different life to live and he's just living it to the fullest and he's got that drip that chinese dynasty (laughs) drip and you know the, the mustache and the goatee like ooh, that's a that's a bit titillating for me. <laughs> now on to worst husbando. I I I this one was kind of tough because there's a couple of worst husbandos out there from this year, but I think the one that I find to be the worst 
is Ryongha Song from Love of Kill. Oh, that's <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, I didn't finish the show, but <laughs> I can see why. The the reason being is that he's infatuated with the female character, the female main character in this show, but almost to a fault. You know what? Definitely to a fault because he's extremely pushy. He's um he's very uncomfortable in the way that he does anything with her. He almost like forces her hand to his benefit a lot of times like he he gives off the vibes of somebody who can be very controlling um very sinister and not in like the good way because you know you sometimes get like the the trope uh romance of like the honorable main character and the you know questionable villain falling in love and they're very different people right but there's always that silver lining to the the questionable villain where you can at least justify them being together and you don't have the sort of worry for the the main character. Here I worry about the girl. Like if she were to actually be with this guy, I don't know. Like that that is there's something here that I just feel like would go horribly, horribly wrong. There's really no silver lining to Ryong Ha. I just I am very uncomfortable watching a lot of his interactions with the female lead. So he's he's gotta be my pick for worst husbando. I'm actually still planning to finish Love of Kill. I think just because I love the OP so much. But what, what I will say about Young Ha is he, he gives off creeper vibes. So I don't know if I will be able to <laughs> make it. Creeper vibes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to make it through that show just knowing his creepy nature. My worst husbando pick, um, it was really hard because of the anime that I watched, I didn't really think there were any characters in there that were terrible husbandos but i went with a show that is guaranteed to have something mid in it and so i picked a character from orient part two by the name of akihiro uh, akihiro is an heir to one of the samurai clans that is featured in part two but he just feels so much like the cliched trope of the handsome and highly skilled but brooding male character who doesn't get along with anybody, that as with many other aspects of Orient, he doesn't really stick out in any significant way besides his bright orange hair. He sounds kind of like a Sundere. Wait, is he the main character? He's not the main character. Okay, I was going to say, I dropped it after like three episodes, so I can't yeah. remember. No, he's like a, he's a side character who butts heads with the main character. I would say he's probably like in between a sundere and a kudere. Ah, so maybe I would like him. <laughs> maybe, but again, nothing stood, ab- stood out about this guy. And he fell into that stereotypical trajectory of these characters who, again, they don't get along with anybody. But after a, a revelatory moment, they finally understand why everyone fucking hates them and want and they want to do the right thing. Uh, so I, I guess, I don't know if people would really consider him a husbando, but I guess he has some qualities of it. I just think, again, he doesn't stick out at all, just like how Orient in general doesn't stick out. Next category is best and worst girl. My pick for best girl, no fucking surprise. I'm pretty sure it's like 90% of people's best pick for girl. It's Anya Forger from Spy Family. Waku waku. She was my choice too. Oh, perfect. There you go. See, Anya's just great. Like, 
even if you're not crazy about Spy Family, I feel like you could still get behind Anya. She's adorable. The voice actress does a phenomenal job actually sounding like a child versus an adult trying to portray a child. And I just love that Anya has so much untapped potential, but she's just too young to understand like what she could do with mm. her abilities. And yet that's not stopping her from wanting to help Lloyd, wanting to help Yor and keep this family together. She kind of is like the glue of the family without anybody else knowing it because she has to keep her powers a secret. And she's just funny. And I love her relationship with Damien. I just like every time the two of them interact, I just get so excited about it because I, I love that he's like a Sunday and he's got a little crush on her, but she's she sees him as a rival, but she has to win him over for the benefit of the mission. I don't know. Everything about Anya is so cute and she has a fantastic, I don't know if it's technically considered her theme song, but there is a version of like the spy-esque song that plays that's a little more clunky has a flute mm -hmm. it sounds like a kid was trying to play that song and that plays when she does her spy stuff and i just think it's phenomenal so i i love anya i think she's absolutely fucking adorable just a comment on her her friendship quote-unquote friendship with damien i just love that he they kind of both mis misunderstand each other in the things that they are doing or or saying um to the point where like Damon Damien's kind of starting to have a crush on Anya, but Anya doesn't really realize it. It goes over her head because all she's she's only doing these things for the sake of the mission that uh, Lloyd has to go through. So <laughs> I just love that aspect of their relationship dynamic. But to just talk about Anya specifically, it took a while for her to grow on me, but I just realized now that she's just a lovable form of stupid and clumsy. And as you alluded to with the, the voice actor, she just has a voice that's too kawaii to deny. I think she's definitely the heart and soul of the eponymous spy family and just doing what she must to aid Lloyd, aid Lloyd in his primary mission even if she is just absolute shit in playing her part. But like you said, she's she's just a kid. She doesn't know all the, the ins and outs of how life works and, and what it means to be a spy, but she's doing her damnedest. Lloyd might technically be the main character of Spy Family, but to the anime community, Anya is definitely the main character. Yeah, and I think she won everyone over with her smug face, <laughs> uh, which, by the way, I, I have a... a a pillowcase that has the smug Anya face on it from a secret Santa that we had with from Weebmas. Yes. <laughs> well, my pick for worst girl. I'm actually wondering if this is going to be your pick as well, because you know how much I fucking can't stand this girl. Worst girl definitely has to go to Frederica from '86 Part Two. Oh, she was on my list, but I picked someone else. Oh, okay. Now I'm interested to see who you picked. But if you listen to our '86 Part Two review on Strictly Anime, you know why I can't stand Frederica. She's got to be the opposite of Anya. So first off, voice actress wise, I'm sorry, I don't mean to bash the voice actress because this voice actress has done some really fantastic roles. But when it comes to Frederica. Anya is a case, as I said, where the voice actress sounds like an actual child, not like an adult trying to be a child. Frederica is the opposite. It is definitely, an, it sounds like a, an adult trying to be a child, and it is not convincing in the slightest. We 
know her age. I'm pretty sure they shared at some point in 86. And she does not behave her age at all. She literally behaves like a full-fledged adult. So she is so confusing to watch because I'm like, are you supposed to be the innocent, naive child? Or are you just like a full-on adult stuck in a child's body? And I think for me, it's like Frederica didn't offer a lot of benefit to the story. If anything, she was just a fucking pain in the ass for Shin the entire time. And I didn't find like her you know, brother-sister relationship that developed with Shin to be very cute. I don't even think he found it to be very cute. And I just, I, I don't know, like, she pissed me off so much. There was nothing that I found really enjoyable about her. And yeah, that's Frederica. <laughs> yeah, I think she was just too anime. She was like the most anime thing out of that show. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's a really good way of explaining why I didn't like her in, in 86. I get what you mean, though. She was, like, in your face. Like, I, yeah. just, I, uh, I just, like, they kept trying to push her in your face, and I just wanted to push her to the side. Yeah, I, I think mostly because there were parts of 86 that felt grounded in realism, and then you have this character with a whiny-pitched voice who wants to be the center of attention, and it kind of takes you out of it. Um, I think she was just there to serve as a connection between Shin and Kiria, the, the villain of 86 Part 2. But th that's all that she was pretty much good for. But my pick for Worst Girl of 2022 is from a show that I mentioned previously. And that is Aharen from Aharen is Indecipherable. Because again, I myself cannot decipher a good quality about Aharen. I can barely hear what this fucking girl has to say, too. <laughs> she may be like a smaller form of Komi in that sense, but I think her droning voice and dull personality just don't merit her any sort of ranking in the notable girls of 2022. Yeah, I feel you on that. She was just too deadpan. There was like nothing... Mm -hmm. Nothing stand out about her, which I get is supposed to be her whole shtick. That's like what her character is. But at least give us something to go off of. Right. Now jumping into best and worst boy of 2022. My pick for best boy was really fucking difficult because there were so many best boys out there this year. But if I have to pick one, because I do have to pick just one, it's going to have to go to Kotaro from Kotaro Lives Yay, Alone. He was my pick as well. Wow, we have a lot of similarities this year. Well, that, mm -hmm. That's good. I'm glad that you also picked Kotaro. But I was wondering if you had ended up picking Boji. I'm sure Boji is an honorable mention if, yeah. we, if we were going to do that. No, it, this was a very difficult decision to make, uh, having like best Boji at the beginning of the year. But yeah, I had a way options. And so I ultimately picked Kotaro. And Kotaro's fantastic. I think because despite... Okay, I, I want to tread softly here. Like, I know we said that there may be some spoilers. I don't want to spoil Kotaro Lives Alone because you just need to go watch it if you haven't. But um, if I were to describe Kotaro, he is an inspiration, honestly, mm -hmm. with the, some of the things that he has had to try and navigate in his life. Uh, he is surprisingly positive, um, ambitious, uh, stern in, in a good way, and is highly independent for the age that he is, which I think is like four or five. Yeah, he's like four years old, I think. And so it's it's just really amazing to watch Kotaro through his journey and him just 
try to do all the things that somebody else should be doing for him, a, a support system should be doing for him, but he just doesn't have that in his life. So that is why Kotaro lives alone. So I, I don't want to go too much in depth about it, but just watch the show if you haven't watched it. He is precious as fuck. He is just best boy all around, and we have to protect Kotaro. Yeah, there's not much more that I can add to that because, again, I think people should go into Kotaro Lives Alone uh, with a, a fresh slate of having no knowledge of the show prior hand or beforehand. Um, but yeah, it was difficult to choose between Boji and Kotaro because they both have incredible journeys. But I think Kotaro just strikes a more personal chord for both you and me, uh, especially because his his journey just feels a lot more realistic and just really makes you think about the world outside of it being an anime. Uh, and like you said, Kotaro is just a, an inspiring little boy who is able to navigate through the journey of life with such confidence and, <laughs> I guess, a little bit of chivalrous uh, speech but it's a it's a great story to watch unfold. And yes, I agree. We need to protect this boy at all costs. My pick for worst boy, I think might be your pick as well. Uh, it's Izumi from Shigimori's Not Just a Cutie. Yes, it is. Okay, well, we share this category too. <laughs> Fuck this little fucking bitch. <laughs> Izumi is so annoying. Like his shtick is being this kid who has bad luck surrounding him. So he, you know, he tries his best, but things just happen around him that are unfortunate. And that's why Shikimori has to protect him. I don't know. Just something about it was just really annoying. It was not presented in a way that was intriguing or compelling. And I was just like, he can't do shit for himself. He kind of seems like a burden. Um, I get that he's trying his best, but he was just so wimpy and so pathetic oftentimes that I just couldn't get behind him. I couldn't feel for him because he was just almost too pathetic. Like when you make a character almost too pathetic, it's just, it's a turnoff. And, and that's why he's got to be the worst boy for me. Yeah. Again, fuck this little coward ass bitch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this just, I'm picturing him in my mind right now and hearing his voice and I'm already getting angry. Um, there's nothing redeemable about him. If if there's someone out there who can make an argument about why Izumi should be best boy, I'd love to hear it, but also I will not agree with it. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, like I, I I don't understand why Shikimoi wants to protect someone so much who can there's I I guess he's a kind hearted guy, but other than that, he he's kind of a fuck up in life too. I I just don't understand the dynamic. I, I guess she does wear the pants in the relationship, but you know, Izumi just needs to step the fuck up sometimes and just learn how to counter his his mistakes. And now we're jumping into best and worst couple of 2022. Uh, spoiler warning, there's probably going to be spoilers here because I would say the couples that I have on my list actually do become canon. So if you don't want to know who actually ends up getting together, um, tread tread lightly in this category. But my pick for best couple of 2022, 
definitely has to go to Sasaki and Miyano from the anime mm. Sasaki and Miyano. It was my first real foray into the boys love genre. And I have heard that um, from avid boys love or BL fans that this is definitely a good entry anime for that that uh, genre because it is a softer type of story compared to a lot of the BL stories out there. But I thought it was amazing. I loved the show. I loved this romance. I loved this relationship. I think my favorite part is how madly and genuinely in love Sasaki is with Miyano and how patient Sasaki is with Miyano as he tries to um, identify who he really is in terms of his his romantic preferences. And, you know, you, you kind of feel for Sasaki at certain points because he so badly wants to know what Miyano is thinking, what his answer is to his confession, but he's willing to wait as long as it takes to get the answer that he's hoping for. And then when they finally get together, it's just so sweet. Like, you can just tell how happy and how ecstatic Sasaki is to actually get to be with Miyano. Um, and there's nothing really creepy about their relationship. Like, they respect each other. They um, don't push each other past any boundaries. There is just this genuine love between them. So I loved every moment of this anime, and I really, really loved this couple. Sounds like a very wholesome boys love. It's wholesome as fuck. Holy <laughs> shit. It's so good. If you haven't watched Saki and Miyano, go watch it. My pick for best couple of 2022, no surprise here, it's Komi and Tadano from Komi Can't Communicate Season 2. Now, I, I feel like there's a caveat here because they aren't technically canon at this point in the story, but I can already tell that theirs is going to be a high school sweethearts story that's just about to blossom. And there were many hints dropped throughout season two of their growing feelings for each other. I know that Tadano feels like Komi is way out of his league, but it's clear that Komi knows that Tadano has been such a genuine and nice person to her throughout her journey of learning to break out of her shell of communication. Uh, and I'm just remembering the really spicy scene in the episode where Tadano gets sick and Komi comes over to to help him feel better and I almost squealed. <laughs> yeah, they're a great ship. I, I can't wait for the day they'll inev inevitably get together. It's going to be probably one of the best scenes in anime because he, like you said, he's just stumpy boy. He doesn't think that he's worthy of the goddess of their high school and yet she's head over heels for him. She she loves him. They love each other. We just need to get them together. Just got to push them, push them together. And now I'm remembering when she was at that sleepover with friends and they asked her like the first letter of her crush. And I think it was like, in the, in the translation, it was like a T. I think it was H or for Hito Hito. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, H. Right, is his first name Yeah, Hito? that's his first name. And I, I had to crack a smile at that too. <laughs> My pick for worst couple, and again, this is very much a spoiler for the anime, so I guess I'll say the anime name first. Uh, it's Aharen is Indecipherable, and that worst couple is Aharen and Raido. Mm. I don't fucking get it. I don't understand. This romance came out of nowhere. I, I thought in the beginning that the, this was going to be a romance anime, like a rom-com of sorts, but it very quickly became like just two really close friends who were trying to help each other out because they were the odd ones out in their class. And then suddenly towards the end of the show, there's this romantic 
development that didn't even really develop. It just showed up. And therefore, I was not invested in it because I didn't feel any romance. I didn't see this coming. And then I was sitting there like, okay, they're getting together now. I was actually kind of uncomfortable. I felt weird about it. I was like, I did not think that they had any romantic interest in each other at all. And then they just dropped that shit on us. And I I wasn't prepared for it. Yeah, I thought it was just fine for them to be just close friends, like close friends with really dull personalities. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, they can they can share in in their personalities in that way. Uh, and yeah, the, the relationship thing just dropped out of nowhere. It's, it's like they needed a romantic plot to just keep this show interesting. But I it was just like cut and dry at that point. Like, no lead up to it. It was just Aha and suddenly fell in love with, was it Raido? Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird seeing two characters get together that had literally no romantic chemistry. I don't understand. Like, that's that's a lot for my brain to process. So I did not like that couple. My worst couple is kind of in the same vein. And I'm tired of bringing this stupid anime up, but I put... Izumi and Shikimori from Shikimori's Not Just a Cutie. Uh, it's a very imbalanced relationship dynamic as we discussed before. And I still don't understand like what the fuck does Shikimori see in Izumi besides needing to protect this little weasel. I, I don't want to elaborate more because it just it just this anime makes me angry. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think we've we've shared our sentiments about Shikimori's Not Just a Cutie, but I agree, they are a pretty bad couple. They were one that I was considering on my list as well. Next category is Best and Worst Story. This one's tough because we also have Best and Worst Anime. So I, I wanted to pull out story in particular because you can have a really great story, but maybe not have it be the best anime. So I wanted to make sure that we called out these Best and Worst Stories. So my pick for best story definitely, without a doubt, goes to Kotaro Lives Alone. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I there were some really good ones. This was tough, but I have to go with Kotaro. There, I, I, again, it's hard to describe why without spoiling anything, and I just cannot spoil this show for anyone who has not watched it. You guys have probably heard us rave about Kotaro Lives Alone throughout the year since we watched it when we saw the Anime Brothers podcast recommend it. And I I just can't get enough of it. We even got my sister to watch it and she absolutely loved it. She's not an anime fan, but she really enjoyed the show. And I think that this is one that is a, a must watch. It's only 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. It is on Netflix. So it's a very easy watch. But the reason, so I'm going to try lightly, I'm going to try not to spoil anything, but the reason that Kotaro Lives Alone hits so well is because on the surface, it just seems like a slice of life with a quirky plot of this four or five-year-old living by himself. But as the show goes on, it drops these subtleties as to why Kotaro lives alone and why these things are happening like what why he he knows how to do certain things but maybe doesn't know how to do other things when it comes to like living on your own and taking care of yourself and like taking care of your home and everything and watching not only those little hints be dropped along the way but also the way it impacts him and his neighbors and then seeing them feel very compelled to take care of him and to be there for him it's just it was it was a lot. I was I was so thoroughly impressed at how 
this show hit me right in the feels when I was literally not expecting it at all. It just, it, it came out of nowhere in the best way. And I think the writing is so good. And that's why I've got to pick this one as the best story. Yeah. Kotaro Lives Alone was definitely a surprise of a story, especially because we walked in having no idea what the story was going to be. And then it just turns out to be this hilarious and wholesome, I want to say slice of life drama that kind of just sits with you for a while after you've watched it. Um, again, I don't want to comment more on it uh, for those of you who haven't watched it, but we strongly encourage people to go out there and watch Kotaro Lives Alone. My best story for 2022 kind of went with the mainstream answer here. I put Attack on Titan, the final season, part two. <laughs> it, there was just, just with like part one, but I think more so with what happens in part two, it was just massive payoff after massive payoff after massive payoff. And it's crazy to think that this anime, which has spanned over the course of nine or ten years, has a story that is so tightly and well written that it still is keeping me invested in what's going on and just really eager to see what the conclusion or how the conclusion is going to play out. My pick for worst story of the year is going to have to go to that fucking turtle from the Rising of the Shield Hero is. season two. <laughs> and it's not only the turtle. it's That includes everything that, that happens after that. I mean, this is an isekai where the, the character gets isekai'd twice. So we're not only talking like he gets isekai'd to this world in season two. There's technically he gets isekai'd to a second parallel world. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Um, the turtle, when they finally move past that, it then goes into like all of this shit with another really terrible antagonist that I was also considering putting as the worst antagonist of the year. It was just nothing like season one. And season one had this very unexpected success. People fucking loved Naofumi's story. They they really got behind him and wanted him to be successful. And then season two is just like, I don't even know. I kind of wish I didn't watch it because it just put a sour taste in my mouth. So I'm just going to go with the Rising of the Shield Hero season two. And if you've seen that season, you you know why. Save the turtles, but not this one, I guess. <laughs> uh, my worst story for 2022 uh, goes to the middest anime out there, which is Orient Part 2. Uh, part 2 was considerably better than Part 1, I'll give it that, because it had an arc centered around a significant demon battle. But then they injected this love story side plot, and I thought it was just very muddled, and poorly wrapped up and I don't know what the characters involved what they got out of it afterwards um, also this show is just mid overall so <laughs> despite it being an exciting battle arc it never felt very enthralling or injected with high stakes yeah, I'll take your word for it because I dropped Orient after like two or three episodes the, part, the first part so I didn't get very far at all and now we're coming up on our last three categories, and these are the big ones. So next we have best and worst anime season from 2022. And by anime season, we mean the actual seasonal anime. So we've got uh, winter, spring, summer, and fall. 
So my pick for best anime season has to be fall 2022. That was my pick too. I mean, banger after banger after banger. Holy shit. Let's just do a quick rundown. I mean, we're in the middle of it right now. I guess the tail end of the season. But we've got Chainsaw Man, Spy Family, Mob Psycho, My Hero, Blue Lock, Bleach, uh, To Your Eternity. There's just like so much that, again, 2022 gave us a lot. But it packed a lot of the goodness into fall 2022. There's so much to watch this season. And I I just can't get over how how stacked fall 2022 has become. And all the anime have delivered. So I think that's the best part. There There weren't really any major disappointments, at least that I can think of for fall 2022. So I have to say like this, this was a treat. Yeah, we were definitely eating good this season to the point where it was almost overwhelming. I I would say that like winter 2022 is a fair runner up, especially because it had Attack on Titan and the tail end of Demon Slayer season two, but nothing like the the behemoth that was fall. Uh, Again, you had all the shows that Courtney mentioned, even hidden gems like Akiba Made War, which I just wrapped up this week, and I still think you should watch it. Um, And Bochi the Rock, which I've been hearing great things about. I actually just started watching it this week, so hopefully um, it's as good as everyone's touting it to be. But, man, I can't think of a season in recent memory that has had so many major and heavy hitters like Fall 2022. My pick for worst anime season was actually really difficult because, again, we were so spoiled this year that every season I felt was absolutely amazing. But if I had to pick one, which I have to pick one, I would have to pick summer 2022. Same pick for me. Well, there you go. We've been like on point this whole time. So summer was still stacked. We had Call of the Night. We had Classroom of the Elite season two. Devil's a part-timer. It was kind of a disappointment. Um, we had Rented Girlfriend, Lycoris Recoil, Made in Abyss, uh, Isekai Oji-san. So it was still a really great season. Don't get me wrong. But if I had to look at them you know, holistically, I would say there were also, again, a lot of disappointments. Uh, as I mentioned, Devil's a Part-timer Season 2, Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer, um, Shoot, Goals of the Future was absolute hot garbage. So, you know, just based on the the lineup i guess i'd consider summer to be at the bottom if i were to rank all of them but again still a fucking awesome season yeah i echo all your sentiments um i think we forgot to mention like stone ocean also came out both in fall and summer um so another heavy hitter there but yeah summer 2022 wasn't necessarily a terrible season it's just looking at it objectively with the other three seasons I felt like it wasn't as stacked with notable anime as the other seasons. And, of course, I'm, I'm thinking of Rent-A-Girlfriend Season 2, which was good, but I didn't think it was that great. And, of course, Devil is a Part-Timer Season 2, which ended up in disappointment. But it had highlights like Lycoris Recoil, so I'll, I'll give it that. Second to last category is best and worst moment of 2022. And to clarify, this can be a moment from like a moment that occurred in an anime or it could be a moment that happened in the anime industry or even a moment that happened in the anime community. So we might have a, a little bit of a mix here. My pick for best moment of 2022 comes from an anime 
And it's episode 11 of My Dress Up Darling. Oh, my God. I can't ever forget that episode. It was the most beautiful thing in the whole world. Talk about, like, the best romantic situation. Like, of all of the... <laughs> the best. <laughs> of That's all... a stretch, but okay. <laughs> of all of the romance anime I have seen, I have never seen such a perfectly executed sexual tension episode ever ever it was wild it was great and it was still really wholesome at the same time like it had the perfect blend of like it was a hot scene and also a really wholesome scene and i was just i literally screamed i i I know i mentioned this in our my dress of darling review but when that one part happened in episode 11 with gojo's pants i'll just leave it at that um i literally screamed you were sitting on the couch next to me i was like oh my god yeah I'm, i'm already getting like flustered just thinking about it it was a really well done episode And for a show that was already fucking amazing, I just thought episode 11 had to be one of the highlights of My Dress Up Darling. So there you go. If if you haven't watched episode 11, go watch My Dress Up Darling and be ready for episode 11. Yeah, that episode was very informative in learning how to pitch a tent. So (laughs) my my best moment of 2022, it has to go to the rumbling from Attack on Titan, the final season part two. And I think that's all I'll say about the matter. I don't want, I don't want to delve into too many details, but yeah, rumbling, rumbling, it's coming, rumbling, rumbling. My pick for worst moment of 2022. This is a sore spot, especially for um for you and me. If if you are a fan of Strictly JoJo, you'll know how much we are disappointed by this particular moment and it's more than just a moment it's kind of like an extended moment and it's the way that jojo's bizarre adventure stone ocean was handled by netflix Mm -hmm. i know technically this also taps into 2021 um because stone ocean started or aired in 2021 but man these batch releases fucking sucked there's something so exciting about being able to have weekly episode releases and talk with the anime community, with the JoJo community or whatever fandom about like what happened that episode and theorize about what's going to happen in the, the the next episode or further down the line in the story. We didn't have any of that. That was such a disappointment to not be able to live the experience of Stone Ocean with other JoJo fans because Netflix forced them to do batch releases. And then not only that, but... There was like little to no promotion going on for Stone Oceans Part 2 and 3. Unless you were in Japan. (laughs) Well, even then, there still wasn't a ton of it. We only saw a handful of commercials and there was only one commercial. There weren't even like multiple versions of the trailer. There was one fucking trailer that would occasionally show on on TV in Japan. So I I just, that was something that a lot of people on Twitter talked about too, was the fact that there was little to no promotion of Stone Oceans Part 2 and 3 this year by Netflix. So the batch releases, the the lack of promotion, um, there were other smaller things as well that really fed into that. We talk extensively about it over on Strictly JoJo, or we have. It, it, it to me, was one of the most disappointing things in the anime industry this year. I think it especially hurts more with the release of Part 3, which is still an amazing part. But I think it is one that would have really benefited from just having weekly episodes released because of how intense the stakes are in the Stone Ocean Part 3. 
And yeah, I've said this before. I'll say it again and again and again. Fuck you, Netflix, for really ruining the JoJo community and JoJo fandom's experience with watching Stone Ocean. Uh, this was going to be our first time getting to react, I guess, live to a part of JoJo since we had kind of jumped on the JoJo bandwagon a little later than others. But it it just didn't pan out the way that we had hoped. Of course, we are still keeping the hype going on our Strictly JoJo podcast. So those of you who are JoJo fans who feel slighted by Netflix's decisions of making JoJo into this money-making machine for them rather than a a treasured gem of the anime community, you can go over there as we continue to review and discuss every single episode of Stone Ocean. My worst moment of 2022, however, comes from an anime, just as my best moment did. Uh, I picked the climax of Housing Complex C, which was that four-episode miniseries that came out, I think, at the start of the fall season uh, that was a an Adult Swim original. The buildup of horror and suspense in the first three episodes led to a very obvious but disappointing conclusion in the episode four finale. And just with that climax, there were plot twists in there that kind of just came out of nowhere and that coupled with payoffs that did not really feel satisfying. And it just makes me wonder why any sort of effort was even put into this mess of a horror miniseries. Um, hopefully, I know with like Junji Ito's anthology coming up, that that learns how to handle a horror story much more gracefully. But yeah, I, watching Housing Complex C was, was a complete waste of time. And I don't recommend anyone else watch it unless you love horror stuff. <laughs> horror stuff to, to be, to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're on the last category, the big one, which is best and worst anime of 2022. Ooh, all right. Are you ready for this? Yes. All right. Can you predict what, what we're going to pick as best? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> My pick for best anime of 2022 is Attack on Titan, the final season, part two. (laughs) That was my pick as well. There you go. I mean, it's Attack on Titan. It's amazingly written. The final season, part two, hit just as hard as the final season, part one. I I just was completely impressed. I was completely enthralled. I loved doing or bringing back our Attack on Titan special event and deep diving into every fucking episode, especially because part two had some really intricate episodes, really intricate scenes and moments that we had to like wrap our heads around. And it's just, it's just amazing. Attack on Titan is, is, has the potential, I don't want to like get ahead of myself, but has the potential to be a classic, has the potential to be a historic anime, and we're living through that. And yeah, I just, I can't pick anything other than Attack on Titan as the best. Yeah, this was our, our same choice for best anime as as it was last year. Uh, I feel like this is kind of the IGN answer to this category. But, you know, for a series that's been going on for so long, that has not felt stale or slowed down even 
up until this point, I think it, it deserves this spot because it's extremely impressive. And like Courtney said, it's just so awesome that we get to witness this in real time, like witnessing the conclusion to what I think is going to be an anime epic for the ages. Like Attack on Titan, however this story is going to end, people are going to talk about this show and this series for many years to come. And that's why I think it's very deserving of the best anime of 2022 spot. On the flip side, we have the worst anime of 2022. And my pick is Shoot Gold to the Future. Holy shit, this stuff was terrible. I, I've i said this story a million times, and I think this is why I had to pick it as my worst, because I have ranted about Shoot Gold to the Future since it came out um, just on occasion. And I, I'll just recap it here. I went into Shoot Gold to the Future for two reasons. One, because the the cast was like all male Sunday, and I fucking love male Sunday. They're my favorite character type. And two, one of the main characters was voiced by my favorite voice actor, Yuichiro Umehara. So I was like, perfect. I'm not into sports anime, but I'm trying to get into it more. And it's got like, you know, the, the best elements that I feel like I would enjoy. I had to drop it. After like three episodes, I had to drop it. It was terrible. Um, even in the first episode, they were recapping what had happened earlier in the episode, probably to just fill time. Um, everyone was like a, just needlessly angry, like overly angry, like too angry even for a male Sunday fan like myself. And the story was just garbage. And then there was that one character who ran around and was obsessed with the main character who just kept saying, Shuto, Shuto. He was fucking annoying. Are you sing the title of the show? Yeah. <laughs> he was fucking annoying and I couldn't handle it. So I dropped it. That was hot garbage. And I'm pretty sure of all the things that we watched this year, Shoot Goal to the Future might have the worst rating on Mal of, of that list. Not a very lofty goal for a series that has the word goal in it, but... <laughs> yeah, funny. it was just bad. It was just so bad. Well, my worst anime of 2022, and I hope this is the final time I'll have to mention this series on this podcast, that goes to Shikimori's Not Just a Cutie. Let me also give you a fun fact because this is the only anime this year that I had to watch on two times speed. And I can't explain in words why I get so angry about this show. But even just thinking about the main couple, Izumi and Chikimori, infuriates me to just no avail. And I'd like to implore anyone out there to give me an argument as to why I should root for this couple or let alone give this show a better rating. Because there's no doubt in my mind that Shikimori is not just a cutie was a waste of my two times speed time. Yeah, it was just boring. It was fucking boring. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so now we have a bonus category. Just like last year when we anticipated that we would both pick Attack on Titan as the best anime of 2022. And that is almost... Um, not like cliche, but very expected that it's going to end up on uh, the top of people's list. We thought it would be great to have a bonus category that is essentially the best anime of 2022 that isn't Attack on Titan. So this will be our true final category since 
no surprise, we both picked Attack on Titan as the best anime of 2022. This is our it was me Dio moment. <laughs> so um, my best anime of 2022 that isn't Attack on Titan has to go to My Dress of Darling. Oh my God. I fucking love My Dress of Darling. It was so great. Not only the story, not only Marin Kitagawa, not only the adorable ship between her and Gojo, but the animation was stunning. The music was so fucking good. The OP was a banger. The ED was a banger. Um, Every aspect about their portrayal of cosplay was so detailed. Um, I I dabble in cosplay. I don't want to call myself a cosplayer, but I've been cosplaying for a long time, but I still only know surface level. My sister, though, is um, very well-versed in costume making and um, just everything that has to do with, you know, seamstress work. And even she said, yeah, this shit's pretty fucking accurate. <laughs> so there's this love of the um, the hobby, if you want to call it, or of the the world of cosplay that comes with my dress up darling that i think is so noteworthy that i think is so impressive so it's not just this surface level like oh my god i love this romance of the best couple ever there's so much to my dress up darling that makes it a very special show to me and that's why i've got to pick it as my best that isn't attack on titan yeah like i said before marion's one of us so it's a definite positive on her part uh, I, I did enjoy My Dress Up Darling. Uh, it was a very sweet show and about something that we have a connection with, which is the world of cosplay. And as much as I think uh, Marin's a little pushy in the relationship dynamic between her and Gojo, I am looking forward to see how their relationship continues to grow. As for my best anime of 2022 that isn't Attack on Titan, I will have to give that to Kotaro Lives Alone. Oh, that's a good one. And, you know, like compared to Titans like Attack on Titan or Demon Slayer, this show doesn't look impressive visually. And maybe it doesn't have like a stellar OP or ED or... A, a noteworthy cast even though the voice actor for Kotro does a very damn good job I think there was no other anime this year that left me so speechless or resonated with me on a more personal level than watching Kotro's journey in this 10 episode series it had me laughing it had me angry it had me in tears sometimes all in the same episode but I think that's just a testament to how gripping and how well-crafted the story of Kotaro Lives Alone is. So I think this was definitely a sleeper hit for 2022, and I will admit it's one of Netflix's very few hidden gems, but this is a series that will continue to stick out in my mind well into the future, and I'm hoping we'll see more of Kotaro's journey but that just remains to be seen. I can't believe it. That rounds out 2022 for us here at Strictly Anime. 
If you are a member of our Discord, let us know what your picks are for some of these best and worst categories. Or if you're not a member, the link to join is in the description. We'd love to hear your thoughts as well. And yeah, it's been it's been a great year. I mean, it's been a wild ride of a year. Looking back on it again, we've had tremendous growth on the podcast. Um, we've collabed with so many amazing podcasts that are anime and manga related and beyond. And of course, we were spoiled with anime in 2022. Let's hope that 2023 hits just as hard as 2022 did. I, I'm, I'm ready for even more amazing anime in the future. And then we also, you know, we got to go to Japan this year. Mm-hmm. We got to go to Crunchyroll Expo this year. Um, and we're starting a family this this year, I guess, or technically next year, you know, with us expecting our first baby. So it's been a wild ride of a year. Um, we can't thank you guys enough again for all of your support, for joining us every week, for connecting with us, whether it's on the Discord or whether it's through email or through social media and just being a part of our Strictly fam. We love what we get to do here at Strictly Anime and Strictly JoJo. We love being able to talk about anime and just share our passion, our love for anime with all of you guys. So thank you so much for uh, supporting us and allowing us to continue to do that. And here's to a terrific 2023 and a special cheers, I guess, to all of you as well for a safe, healthy, and weeby new year. So raise your glasses, clink. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, guys. Hope you enjoyed this year. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And we will see you in 2023. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And of course, tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where we are going through Stone Ocean. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening and for a wonderful 2022. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.